and welcome to Pragmatic Live. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, your host for today's event. I am joined today by Kirsten Butso, premier instructor here at Pragmatic Marketing, proven product management and product marketing leader, and all-around great lady. She is here today to talk about probably the biggest buzzword in technology, innovation. What does it mean, and how do we get it? Thanks for joining us today, Kirsten. Thanks a lot for having me today. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, it's a topic I'm particularly passionate about because I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that it's one of those very often talked about words in our industry, innovation, but it's also a bit of a loaded word. So I think it's going to be kind of fun to maybe unpack what, what's really behind innovation today. Excellent. So yeah, we're going to unpack that and then also talk a little bit about what it is that companies are doing to kill innovation, right? Everybody says that they, they want to be innovative and they really want to succeed and yet we see time and time again products fail, right? So let's start with what do you mean by innovation? Well, so I think the, the most important thing to keep in mind about innovation is um, it, it can seem a little bit elusive, to achieve innovation because I think a lot of times we confuse success in the marketplace, which is really the litmus test for innovation, with building new cool things. Mm. So I think a lot of times when we build cool new things, we think we're innovative. And, and that may be very well be true, but if there's nobody who actually wants to consume the things that we're building, it's kind of just cool stuff for the sake of cool stuff. The real rubber meets the road when we build cool things but people in the marketplace are wildly passionate about consuming the things that we're building. And I think that's what we're really talking about when we talk about innovation. It's just not about building stuff for the sake of building stuff. It's about building stuff that really solves very specific problems that excite people when they have the opportunity to consume that thing. Great. So why do you think, um, with innovation being something that pretty much every technology company is going after, why does it remain so elusive? You know, I think that there's really kind of three key areas that inhibits a company ability to be innovative. Um, I think in order to be innovative, you have to establish a culture that actually empowers your employees to be innovative. Uh, I think you have to have an ability to uh, drive and maintain a certain level of focus so you don't get sidetracked by every shiny object that might come your way. Uh, and then I think that there is an element of discipline. And when I talk about discipline, what I'm referring to is our ability to stay the course and not allow ourselves to get sidetracked or take um, unnecessary shortcuts that really aren't going to get us to our end objective. And so I think a lot of times what happens is we either bypass these key elements, we skip them all together, or there are uh, scenarios in, in today's world where we're moving at a velocity we've just never really seen before in the marketplace that we haven't adapted our business processes and our methodologies to uh, address those key business elements at today's rates, at the pace that we're operating at today. So you mentioned culture, you mentioned focus, you mentioned discipline. So let's just dig into each one of those a little bit more, right? So let's talk about culture and what you mean by culture and how that, that affects our, our ability to be innovative. So culture is kind of an interesting thing um, because I think a lot of organizations, just like we proclaim that we're innovative, we proclaim that we have innovative cultures. Um, but you have to kind of pause if you find yourself thing, saying these things because culture is really um, a compilation of, of many, many things. Uh, culture is really, if you think about it, uh, like a mosaic. 
And that mosaic is really comprised of, of behaviors and artifacts and rules. And all of those together really define whether or not you're truly an innovative organization. And culture can really come in two forms to an organization. It can be formal, where we have formalized job descriptions and um, physically out of our office and organizational charts, but it can also be informal. Uh, people develop social relationships inside and outside of the office. They have networks that uh, dictate how we manage confrontation, how we manage communication in our organization. So when we start to think about culture, it's really important that we understand the compilation of all these formal and informal artifacts that we can point to and say these are tangible things that reinforce that we have a culture of innovation. So what do you see, where do you see companies and people kind of going wrong on the idea of culture? Well, I think, um, you know, one of the things I probably should have said on, on your last question to, to start it off is, I like that we're starting this conversation with culture because quite honestly, um, if you don't establish a culture that empowers your employees to innovate and you don't have those rules, behaviors, artifacts, practices that you can point to that reinforce that you actually have a culture of innovation, we could just stop our conversation right now. Mm. Because the the other two things that we've talked about, that focus, that discipline, they may as well just come off the table. Because without a, a culture of innovation, nothing else really matters. And where we really run into trouble is we um, don't recognize that probably one of the key components of the source of innovation that enables us to establish that culture of innovation within our organizations doesn't actually come from inside our organization. I think we'll oftentimes sit around and think, oh, we're going to come up with some mission statements and we're going to put things on laminated cards <laughs> and we're going to proclaim all kinds of really great things. And if we do these things inside our business, by default, we'll be innovative. And the reality of the situation is this. Culture and driving a culture of innovation comes from outside your company. It's actually driven by the people that you're building products for. And we can only truly establish a culture of innovation if we put all those practices in place that enable our employees to get wildly passionate about solving problems for people outside our walls. Mm. So the first thing we really have to do is we kind of have to stop, drop, and roll, right? We have to pause and we have to say, wait a second, the source of innovation for our organization, it's not from inside our company. It's actually from outside our company. What about failure and the ability to fail? Is that, do you think, an important part of, of a culture where innovation is is key or possible? Yeah, you know, I... um. I started my career back in the day, we'll say, we'll just say over 20 years ago. <laughs> um, and, you know, at the time, everybody was waterfall. Mm -hmm. And uh, waterfall is obviously a very long cycle. Uh, and so by the time you produce something, it better be right, because it took you 12 months to get there. And if you've got to go back and redo things, you don't have another 12 right. months. Well, that's not the world today, right? So at that point in time, Failure is not an option was kind of the mantra or the thought process that we had. But now we've learned and we say, wait a second, we can do things, particularly with cloud-based com computing, we can mm -hmm. do things at a much more rapid rate. Um, and so now, instead of thinking failure is not an option, 
I want us to relentlessly, vigorously pursue failure because every time we do something and we fail, that is a very rich learning opportunity Mm -hmm. that we can spin back into the organization. And if we can do that in a rapid way, we get the luxury of creating velocity. Um, You know, I saw an interesting statistic recently. Um, It took, I think, something like 38 years for 50 million people to adopt televisions. It took like eight or nine months for Twitter to get to 50 million users. So when you think about that rate or you think about that velocity, um, we're just not working at a at a timetable that we used to work at. And because of that, we've got to really realize we're going to be running hard. We're going to be running fast. That means we're going to be failing often. That's a learning experience. We can bake back into the business. I want to fail. Excellent. Excellent. So what can people do, some of our listeners do, like at the, at the individual level to help elevate the culture within their organization? Well, I think, Rebecca, the number one thing that if I had, if I could wave a magic wand and make a wish upon the industry, I would beg and plead organizations to empower and enable their employees to leave their offices. Mm. Um, You know, it's interesting. Uh, We do, as you know, um, we do an annual survey every year, the state of product management and marketing and technology. It's, It's probably the premier source of data about what People who do these jobs tell us about their jobs. Um, And it's really kind of fascinating because if we start with that premise that culture is driven from outside the business, well, then it would stand to reason that we're doing things that enable people to leave the the building. But our survey results give us a very different picture. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had 2,500 people this year respond, and they tell us things like this. I sit back and it kind of breaks my heart a little bit. I'm not going to lie. We're spending 72% of our time doing tactical stuff versus 28% strategic stuff. Um, For those of us who actually do leave the building, we're only doing it five hours a month to talk to customers and two hours a month to talk to prospects. That's 1% of our time, 3% of our time. Um, Win-loss analysis is probably one of the most important data points we can gather. Uh, Only 20% of the people who responded to our survey said they're spending any time at all doing win-loss analysis. And of that few, that little, that tiny number that's doing it, the amount of time that they're spending doing it, two hours a month on average. I mean, when you boil this all down, what we're learning is um, our, our, our peer group, they're spending almost half their time locked in returning emails and attending meetings. And so I, I find it very hard to believe how we can actually start to establish and embrace a culture of innovation driven from the market if we don't actually go spend time in the market. And so that's probably the number one thing I would request of our industry is allocate at least as much time in the market as you do returning emails and going to meetings. So those in turn, the metrics that you can use kind of to grade yourself as a company in your culture? Absolutely. I mean, if you're spending 1% of your time today talking to prospects, Shoot big, go for three percent. Right. I mean, triple three the times number, as much, yeah. right? <laughs> and that's not onerous. Um, and so, you know, look at where you are versus the the standard because the standards are. I mean, I'm sad to say, really, they're pretty low. Um, but that means we got a lot of upside. So nothing but greenfield, nothing but open targets to increase these numbers. I would love if I could again whip that same magic wand out. I would love if if every organization would require their uh, product management and marketing teams to spend twenty percent of their time outside the building. Yeah, one day a week. 
One day a week. One day a week. And I, I think it's really nice to have some sort of tangible metrics to measure culture against. Because I think we think of culture as very, you know, sort of times very touchy-feely and you really can't tell how it is. And, and having these kind of things that you can actually go, look, this is where we're getting better. This is where we're letting innovation into our culture, I think, is, is a powerful trick to give people. Absolutely. Yep. All right. So let's talk about focus. And what do you mean by focus? So, you know, what I mean by focus is this. We're chasing too many things. We're trying to be everything to everybody. We're—I I call it squirrel syndrome. We see every shiny object. Uh, we hear the competition's doing something big. We have a really big deal come across our table, and we find ourselves running in all sorts of directions. It's almost like if you find yourself in a maze. And you're running around in this endless maze, chasing all these shiny objects and the next biggest opportunity and whatever you hear the competition's doing. And it's very, very difficult to find your path out or to find your, um, your success if you can't have any degree of focus that shows you the way that you should go. And so when I talk about focus, I'm talking about the ability to really say no. Um, it's easy to say yes to everything that comes across the desk, but the real litmus test of, um, of very successful organizations is that they know how to say no. One of my favorite quotes of all times in the industry is from Steve Jobs. It's a very well-known quote when he says, innovation is saying no to a thousand things. The trick isn't to say yes to every cool thing that you could. The trick is to figure out a way to say no at the things that are distracting and putting you off course. That makes a lot of sense. So do you have any examples from your own career of maybe where, where you lost focus along the way? Uh, I do, actually. Um, I, without giving away like a lot of secrets, I was working in an enterprise software environment. Um, and we were really kind of in a middle space kind of client. So we had a certain demographic of a client where, where it was really, really our sweet spot. Um, and we were very successful there. We uh, were hugely profitable. We dominated the market. And we got an opportunity to go really, really big. There um, are, this was, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little bit more background, I guess. Um, I was working um, with a student information systems uh, uh, software. And in, in the K-12 market space in the United States, you know, there's so many districts of a certain size at the bottom, so many districts mm -hmm. of a certain size at the middle. But at the top, there's these mega districts, uh, districts like Chicago Public Schools, oh. uh, Los Angeles Public Schools, um, Houston. I mean, really just mega districts. And there's like eight of them in the country. And everybody thinks they want one of those districts as a client. And so we had an opportunity to um, go after one of those mega districts, except it required a huge level of customization in our product. Um, but we saw a big dollar number, right? So we ran for that big dollar number and it honestly almost sunk us because we ended up spending so much time and energy on this really ginormous client that just absolutely wasn't in our sweet spot. We ended up with a lot of customization that became a maintenance nightmare over the long haul mm -hmm. when we really should have just stuck to our guns and said no to that opportunity because it didn't really fit what we were really good at and how we were able to solve problems in the marketplace. Excellent. So people who may be going through the same thing in their, in their careers, what can they do at the personal level and at the organizational level to make sure that they're staying focused? Well, I think um, one of the most important things you can do, I mean, so here's the reality of the situation, and this might be 
um, a little bit surprising to people, but you know, you actually have a limited number of opportunities that you can go after in the marketplace. So when you start to think about dissecting your marketplace, you can keep existing customers happy and grow that base. You can go find new customers within your sweet spot, or you can go after completely brand new market opportunities. The question starts to become, where are you going to spend your time and energy? Uh, and it helps if you really kind of answer two, two key questions. Who are you going to go after, right? Where are you going to spend your time and energy? And then what are you going to build to delight them? Because those two key questions are a great filtration to start to give you that level of focus. If you say, you know what, for the next 12 to 18 months, the bulk of our resources, let's say 90% of our resources, we're going to split evenly between existing customers and new customers. And then we're going to have a little bit of fun money for those completely new market opportunities. When those really big, crazy things come through the door that are very distracting, now you have a filter to say, wait a second, that's not where we said we were going to spend our energy as an organization for the next 12 to 18 months because we've created a target and we're staying within that target. So as people work on sort of improving their focus at a personal and organization level, what are some of the signs or measurements that they can know that they're heading in the right direction or maybe they're, they're not and they need to change their strategy? Well, I think as product managers and marketers, one of the best things that you, one of the, the key things that you need to do is you need to be very leery of individual opportunities versus opportunities that represent um, a, a bucket full of business for your business. Mm. Uh, at Pragmatic, we like to call it N equals one versus N equals many opportunities. So if you find yourself as a, as a product manager or marketer responding to building a feature, for every individual request that mm. comes across your desk, whether it's from a salesperson, whether it's from somebody from support, whether it's from maybe, uh, probably never really happens often, but maybe an executive has mm -hmm. an idea or two that they're, they're willing to share. <laughs> uh, what you have to do is you have to look at all those individual requests and you have to filter them. And you have to say, okay, these are interesting, but how do they relate to the thing at large that we're doing? Because we're building N equals many solutions for the market at large. And so what, I, what you can really do is start to use a filtration mechanism to mm -hmm. make sure that you're not chasing every shiny object that comes across your desk because somebody has a big title or it's an important mm -hmm. customer or somebody's screaming really loudly. Um, so that's from a personal level. From an organizational level, uh, I think it's really critical that organizations dial in to the answer to those questions. Who are you going to delight and what are you going to build to delight them? You cannot be everything to everybody, and so you've got to have a very um, well-defined uh, matrix that paints that target for you. Perfect. Great. All right, so then last, I'm guessing that you are not advocating corporal punishment in the workplace, and so that's probably not what you mean by discipline. Well, I am not. Interestingly <laughs> enough, on the news last night, I don't know if you caught this on the news last night, apparently corporal punishment is still a thing in a lot of school districts in the United States. Really? Yeah, I was pretty shocked by the numbers. Huh. So I want to be very, very clear <laughs> on this front. Something that I thought was no longer really a practice still is, and it's certainly not something that we're advocating no, here no. Uh, at Pragmatic Marketing. Um, okay, so let, here, here, here's the reality. Let's say that we did a great job putting together a market-driven culture. We got outside our building. We're using actual market data. We're solving problems for real people in the marketplace. And we've used that data to give us focus. So we know where to say yes. We know where to say no. But if we don't have the discipline mm. to stay the course, 
it's not going to work either. And so when I'm talking about discipline, I'm talking about our ability to stay on track. Um, innovation will fail if we don't establish some sort of constancy in our purpose. So how can you tell when an organization lacks discipline? Well, they're running around in circles. Mm. Um, I think uh, let's, you know, I think what's interesting, when I talked at the at the beginning of our talk, we uh, were uh, talking about how fast the world is moving today mm -hmm, in adoption mm -hmm. rates. Um, and so I think one of those things that we've really created as an industry to help address that velocity is agile. Um, and agile is great because we can put things in little tiny pieces. We can fail early. We can fail often. We can rapidly prototype. We can rapidly learn. However, Agile is probably a great example of where discipline takes on even a heightened meaning in an organization. Mm -hmm. Because there are so many touch points to be successful in Agile, whether it's your requirements review, your design review, your user, you know, your user validation testing, all of those touch points actually also represent opportunities to allow yourself to get derailed. Because when you bring everybody back in the room to do a review at whatever touch point you've got going on and you've increased those number of touch points, it's a great opportunity for people to come in with new ideas. So I think one of the biggest ways you can tell whether or not you're on track or off track um, is are you when you start a sprint or you start an iteration with Agile, do you fully complete that through testing before you'll even consider any new ideas or mm. changes. And if you find that you're bunging in and out of your iterations and you're changing things before you've completed and tested the thing you laid out you were going to do, you're probably off the rails. And you're probably putting yourself in a, in a position or a situation where you're never ever gonna finish your projects. Is there a way to take that same concept outside of the, the two-week sprint and think about discipline then at the at the two-month or three-month or four-month mark too, right? Yeah, and I think this is where, um, you know, everything we've been talking about um, really nests inside one another because um, what we're talking about is creating a direction mm -hmm. for the organization. Mm -hmm. And then what we're talking about is um, having strategic alignment. And so we're going to have varying touch points um, to make sure that we're checking in and on track. For example, I'm going to have a roadmap. And my roadmap is going to give me that longer term predictive direction that we should be heading. Um, and I'm not going to want to review or change that, but maybe once every quarter, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to have my iterations. And those better not be changed uh, for the period of time that I'm iterating, whether it's two, three week sprints, whatever it is you're doing. But I'm also going to have my user stories and my story points or my, my pieces of individual work. Those might change day to day. But and I'm okay with that as long as everything's nesting in one another. And mm -hmm. so what we want to do is we want to have a very disciplined structure of the different pieces of information and the direction that each one of those provides us. And then we want to stay kind of pristine mm. in jumping in and out of changing those things at inappropriate times. Does that make sense? Yeah. So to your point, there was the consistency of purpose, but the ability to to be agile and change quickly and how that is delivered as market demands and, and needs change. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. So what kind of measurements or controls can you put in place uh, to ensure that you remain disciplined at a company? Uh, well, you know, there's all the all the usual suspect things. Um, you know, I think probably one of the most important things is 
um, to understand the productivity of your teams. So you, you have to have some sense of understanding, um, you know, hey, we're going to embark upon building this thing. And we think this thing is going to take this amount of time. And when we're done building that thing, we want to do a quick check back to say, did it take the amount of time we thought it was going to take? And if not, we need to use that information to predict the next thing that we do. Because what I really want to be able to achieve is the ability to deliver a certain amount of product with a certain amount of predictability. Um, and so one of the big things that I think we can do, and, and if you think about this in, in those agile terms, what I'm really talking about, you know, is at the start of the project, we ask people to allocate the amount of un units of work or story points mm -hmm. that it's going to take them to, to complete work. When we get to the end of the project, how close or how far off were we on that? Because now we have the ability to answer a lot of questions, which were, were our eyes too big for our tummy? Right. Did we over forecast and we need to dial our forecast back? Is this a productivity issue because we're a new team and we've got to get better and better over time? So the next one, we think we can keep the same story points because we know more and we're more efficient than we previously were. And so however you measure your accomplishment of the thing that you're doing against the goal that you set, you have to not only set that in place, but you have to have a look back to make sure that if you did or didn't meet your goals, why or why not was that? Because the converse mm -hmm. can happen, right? You can hit the target and then you ask yourself, well, am I sandbagging? Right. Could, have, could I have done more? Could I have had more velocity? Could I have been more productive? So I would say, you know, the biggest, the biggest measurement just in generic terms is lay out a plan with the best information you have at the time. And then when you've completed doing the thing you say you're going to do, look back. How, how close or how far were you? And use that to inform the next piece of information because it would be my expectation over the course of, say, a 12-month period that a team should be able to deliver product with a pretty high level of predictability. Great. All right, so we've talked about innovation. We've talked about the importance of culture, focus, and discipline, right? We have. We have. If you were, um, one of the things we always, you know, being pragmatic, we want to be practical, we want to be actionable, right? So, after all this, are there two things that somebody could do different tomorrow that we just talked about that you want to drive home for them? I think the number one thing, um, so number one, I'll, I'll give you two. Um, I said it like there wasn't going to be a number two. <laughs> so dramatic. Um, tune in next right, week for, tune number, in next for two. number two. Um, the number one thing is get out of your building. Um, I think one of the strangest things in our industry is intuitively we know that we're building products for people outside our company. And it's it's very uncommon that the people that we're building products for look exactly like us. Hmm. Um, so if you're, you know, let's say I'm your average, you know, kind of middle-aged American. Uh, I could build products for somebody who's 20. They don't look like me. I could build somebody products for somebody like my mother. She doesn't look like me. And so the number one thing I would say is, really legitimately set a goal, set a target to get out of your building and start really understanding the people that you're building products for. Because if we don't do that thing, um, we really risk building products for ourselves versus the people who we're trying to solve the problem right. for. Um, probably the second thing I would say is that ability to say no. Um, I sometimes at Pragmatic, we joke around instead of the, the the Olympics just happened and Nike was obviously a big sponsor of a lot of the athletes. So, um, you know, their their Logan is, is just do it. Mm -hmm. We say just don't do it. Um, and 
I would really say if you find yourself getting ready to go down a rabbit hole for something that looks like a really cool opportunity or a really big opportunity or um, you're chasing the competition even though they're doing something completely different than you are, stop yourself and ask yourself, is this something we should really be saying yes to? Um, because the, the, the most successful organizations in the world, they know the direction they're heading they have strategic alignment, they rally around that, and they have a lot of clarity in their ability to filter out the things that don't match, and they say no. Great. This was excellent. Anything you want to add before you go? No, I really appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to come into the studio today and uh, spend some time with you. So thank you very much. Absolutely, and I hope you come back. All right, so that does it for this edition of Pragmatic Life. 